Good morning, and welcome to Pay It Forward's podcast, Help Yourself by Helping Others. Today's topic is gasification, which may sound scientific, but we hope to bring it down to a level that all of us can understand, because I'm certainly not a scientist. <laughs> uh, my name is Sherry, and I will be your moderator, and I am joined by Mitchell and Alan. Alan is pretty much our uh, expert on this topic as he has an engineering background and degree. So we hope you'll enjoy our discussion on gasification and how it can help improve our world. So let's begin by uh, learning what gasification is. Alan, can you uh, start us off? Sure. Um, the gasification is a technical term in uh, today's world of green renewable energy. Basically, uh, anything that can be renewed, we can scale it and it will be helpful for years to come. And, and we have unlimited supply. So basically, uh, anything that have carbon, so in organic chemistry standard, is anything that either plant or animal that have decomposed or died. So for example, if you look at rice, you look at animals, when they decompose, then they become a certain material. And unfortunately, a lot of this material, if we don't process it, it will have to be taken to a landfill. For example, when a farmer grows, let's say 100 tons of soybean or rice or other uh, popular crop, there's certain uh, waste material, like a husk of rice or some soybean outer coating that is not uh, recommended to be digested, or even animals are not, no, not suitable for them. So those has to be, most of the time, taken to a landfill. Mm. And these might take thousands of years to decompose, or maybe, maybe never. So that's not a good use for our landfill. And also uh, the benefit about understanding gasification is we can convert these unwanted material into green renewable energy or green renewable uh, other type of materials that are beneficial to humans. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is growth, yeah. Oh, sorry, I just, just to... Just to add to that, Alan, you know, it, this is done inside of a closed um, container and then it's heated up to about 2000 degrees. So there's no exhaust. It doesn't pollute. You just have the thin gas and the carbon, correct? Yeah. So there are two ways you can uh, reduce the landfill uh, for these unwatered material. One way is called incineration. So that's the probably done millions of years. You just light a match and then these things disappear. But unfortunately, if you do that, then you have smoke coming out. And then the modern way for incineration is you have a tall, tall smoke, uh, whatever, exhaust. And then there are the more expensive one, but uh, only the wealthy uh, communities can afford those because that's very technical. So basically, they filter at 10 feet, filter at 20 feet, and so forth, maybe get up to a 500 feet chimney. 
uh, to filter things and then manage it. So that's incineration. Uh, but today's topic is about gasification and in the biomass gasification definition, we are not burning, we are not combusting, we are just rearranging the atoms. Hmm. Uh, like Mitchell was saying, under a certain pressure, under a certain controlled uh, temperature and catalyst. So you need three things to get the biomass going. You need most likely extreme heat. The second you need pressure, depends on what you're converting. And number three is catalyst. You know, just like uh, your exhaust in a car, you need catalyst. Um, so typically gasification um, is not really a complicated thing. Uh, most of the universities around the world have studied and have working smaller scale labs that are proven. Uh, so it's actually a very simple process. What you need to do is you want to make sure that the startup time and the startup cost is quite high every time when you start it up. So typically you have to start elevating the temperature and pressure, just like a pressure cooker. You need to put energy, you need to put pressure. So let's say the startup cost maybe $5,000 to get it up to running. So you don't, you want to start and then reap the benefit uh, with the gasification byproduct, energy, heat, steam, or whatever it is, uh, to get back to 5,000. If you do that, and then maybe a month later, then you have to shut it down and you may not reap any benefit. So you are not adding any value. Mm -hmm. So I hope this is not too complicated. Well, it's a little bit scientific, so I think I would just try to summarize uh, this first slide before we get into all of that detail. Um, for laymen like myself, um, the gasification is a technology that will take carbon-based materials and they can be converted in a hopefully closed system to uh, produce other useful materials. Um, and in particular, we would like to discuss biomass as a, the um, renewable organic material that would be used. And hopefully using these biomass uh, materials, we can convert through gasification uh, useful products and avoid uh, harmful products from being admitted. So that's it in a nutshell based on my limited knowledge. So we'll, we'll move on to uh, our next slide and just give a brief history of uh, gasification. Um, Mitchell, you can just take a look at maybe what we have here on this slide and give our listeners just a brief overview of gasification's history. Mitchell? Yes, yes, yes. Sorry. Um, yeah, you know, the first gasification plant was built in the 18th century um, to, bruise, to produce uh, gas for a town for using lights. Um, you know, I know later on in history, it was reinvented by a gentleman that worked for a farm. Um, and I think they used it to recycle corn husk or, you know, different materials from the farm, different waste, and then use that for electricity for the farm. Um, I know that came roughly in the 70s at that point in time, and it's still used today practically on most farms. Uh, I think, Alan, you had some interactions with that, right? 
Yes, uh, I was lucky enough to meet a gentleman who uh, designed the first, like a bigger scale uh, gasification uh, unit in the U.S. And um, he, I, I met him maybe tw 10, 20 years ago. Uh, he used to run a rice and soybean farm for a big company in Stewart, Arkansas. Mm. So at, at that point, while he was a plan manager or president, they are spending millions of dollars on natural gas to dry the rice uh, and also process the soybeans or different crops. But then at the same time, they are paying a lot of money to haul away to the landfill anything uh, that they cannot use, like the husk from the rice and you know other byproducts. So he proposed to the management that why not build a gasification? Then we can save money on the landfill, don't uh, take space for the landfill, uh, for the environment, and also convert to steam and also electricity. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. So the management said, as long as it doesn't interfere, you know, our day-to-day -day operation, uh, go ahead and do it. So he did it. And I, he was very proud to show me, um, you know, how it works and all that, uh, what, uh, in a, in a life setting. So, yeah. That's amazing. So I do remember you going to Arkansas. So, um, essentially they built this gasification unit. They continued to produce their crops, but all the crop residue that they were having to pay to get rid of, they were converting to energy that they were able to use on their farm. Is that right? Yeah. Also, another challenge is in the in the big like forty years ago, they can just dump it somewhere within like a half an hour. But most landfills they are getting full, so they have to mm -hmm. go further, further out. And then after a while, they said, "Can you find other way? We don't want your stuff because if we take yours, and then we cannot take other landfills." So landfill is really getting hard to come by in the U.S. Most people don't want landfill in the home community. So you'd have to go to like uh, states like Nevada or West Virginia where there's no human being. But that's even not good to do, but it doesn't mean that you don't live close by. You, you leave a blind eye that you can dump anything. And knowing that that will not decompose for thousands or millions of years to come. Very true. Yeah. Okay, well, we will move on to our next slide, uh, which is how gasification works. And again, I think we're going to turn to you, Alan, uh, to give us uh, an overview of uh, how the process works. Yeah, actually, I touched on this a couple of slides back. Yeah. Uh, I was a little bit ahead of myself. So in a nutshell, it's very simple. Is If you do it in a lab, it's actually several steps just like the drawing here. Uh, but in the lab, then obviously cost is not an issue. But in the real world, you want to make sure that whatever uh, effort you put in, you'll get certain rewards, you know, in, either in terms of money, steam, heat, or other uh, useful uh, product out of it. Otherwise, it's not business uh, sound. 
So basically, just uh, it goes through the first item is uh, try to make the interaction work with catalyst, with heat and pressure. So it depends on what product you are doing. Let's say you're doing rice husk only, then, for example, maybe 2000 degrees Fahrenheit, just like uh, making a, a pottery. You know, some pottery, if you're doing fine china, maybe a certain temperature. If you're doing ceramic, maybe a different temperature. Same idea. So mm. you just have to look up the recipe, find <laughs> out what is your feet, and find out what is the diameter of the feet, and then what uh, are the composition. Because the rice from Arkansas, the composition may be different than rice husk in Texas or mm -hmm. rice husk in Thailand. So you need something to kind of validate what, what is the optimum. I see. So yeah. you put temperature uh, and unfortunately to get started, you have to heat up the chamber using natural gas. So it depends on how big is your um, chamber. You know, maybe $10 if it's a small one in the lab for the natural gas to get to 2000 degrees. Or it could be a million dollars if you have a big one. So once you do it, you want to keep feeding the stock. So mm -hmm. it will keep going by itself without like uh, spending another million dollars. Well, I'm just exaggerating, but it depends right. on the cost of your natural yeah. gas. So now in the case nowadays with right. solar panel, maybe that's a way you can get free energy to heat this up. Mm. Yeah, and I was reading that they're they're experimenting with using plasma to heat mm -hmm. it up as well. So there, there are a lot of technological technological advantages and developments with biomass gasification as we speak. Very true. Well, we won't spend a lot of time on this uh, as it's is kind of technical, and I think the picture, you know, kind of gives an, a a brief overview. And Alan, you've done a great job, you know, giving us a, a scientific overview of how it works. So we'll move on to uh, our next slide, and maybe Mitchell, you can just give us a an idea of why gasification could be an important. Um, use in our country? Well, you know, it solves so many problems from utilizing the feedstock. We have a lot of extra organic material mm -hmm. on this planet right now, from, from yard waste to, you know, rubber tires, medical waste, things that are just building up that we cannot dispose of properly, plastics, all that's organic material. So having it sorted into a feedstock, that's one thing you can solve is you can responsibly dispose of it. The next thing is the clean energy that you can create from that. You know, it could be used for transportation. You can heat your house. You can run your factory. So we're moving towards a world where we're supposed to be more responsible with the environment. This is a key thing that we have to do as a society to make a difference is how we deal with our waste. Um, yes. So far, this is the most responsible effort that we have. Very good overview. Yes, I, I agree with you. Um, but like Alan said, if you don't do it right, it's not business sound. Yes, yes. And that, that's the biggest hurdle that, that this technology has experienced is people who they're either subsidized, so when the money runs out, that's the end of it, or they 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 can't keep the feedstock going and they have to reheat it up every time. And Alan said, million dollars to turn <laughs> Right. You, you make one or two mistakes and you, know, you broke your business model. Now you're out of business. Yes, you know, yes. So being paid for and who we are, 
we're here to help bridge the business model, I think, and, and help solve this solution in a way to where it's self-sustainable. Well, also in the Pacific Northwest, uh, for example, like state of Washington, Oregon, and California, you probably heard in the news every year that thousands, if not millions of uncontrolled wildfire. And we, if we implement gasification in the scale, what we do is maybe pay it forward and organize activities, volunteers to uh, identify dead vegetation, dead trees in these three states, and then have a way to convert this to renewable green energy. Mm -hmm. Then uh, you solve two problems because you don't have to pollute the environment with all the uncontrolled wildfire. Every time when a wildfire comes, you know, many people will get sick because all the uncontrolled uh, smoke that come out. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's really not good. And this can be done easily by removing that vegetation responsibly and then convert to green energy using the gasification. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully we cannot eliminate all the wildfire. Let's say we cut it in half or, or maybe even more then we provide beautiful green energy uh, for people to enjoy and then to cut down on the wildfire. Yes. And we're going to talk about feed stocks uh, up in our upcoming slides. Uh, so I guess just to overview why gasification, um, you know, the global warming issues, uh, our dependence on fossil fuels, as Mitchell said, you know, being responsible stewards of our planet are all, you know, why gasification would be uh, an important uh, advancement if it was more widely used in a sustainable fashion. So we'll move on. And I believe our next slide um, just, again, addresses the environmental impacts of fossil fuels, um, which are, a, you know, a big threat to our well-being and prosperity. And part of the solution is uh, using renewable energy uh, such as geothermal, solar, wind, and biomass conversion. Uh, so that is why we're discussing this topic and hoping to bring gasification uh, forward in a sustainable fashion. So we'll just move on then to talking about uh, what we've been kind of touching on uh, throughout. You know, what is feedstock? And uh, Alan, if you want to give our listeners an overview of what feedstock means and and what we're talking about when we, you know, you like you were talking about waste, forestation waste. Mm -hmm. Good. Um, actually, at the Europe uh, co continent has a um, lot more active gasification plants than mm. the U.S. Hmm. Uh, I probably the the resources available over there are different than the US. So basically, uh, they actually buy feedstock from the US, I believe it or not. So, um, no. so uh, every year there are uh, companies in the US that collect uh, either responsibly grown uh, brand new plants or dead vegetation or whatever it is. Uh, then they bring it to a factory, then they uh, sort out, for example, like a tree 
they probably remove the leaves, you know, just leave whatever the trunk or the branches. And then with the machine, they can probably process millions of pounds or tons of this. And then they would make it into like a small particles, you know, mm -hmm. probably a size maybe of a, probably smaller than a golf ball or, or whatever the, the customer ordered. Then they would put it on a cargo ship and ship it to Europe. And in Europe, what they do is they would put this uh, into their gasification chamber and then convert to either steam or heat or electricity, whatever, to provide green energy. So the same thing can be done in the U.S. if Pay Forward can organize uh, volunteers or people that are concerned. It's very, very simple, actually, the process. You just need... Um, find out what is the end product, whether the end product is electricity or steam or maybe some other byproduct that are uh, green that can be sold. So, for example, let's say if you're building a 40-unit townhouse so you can work with the developer that uh, we're going to put a gasification unit. So it, it could be painted bright green or just some artistic color. So inside just different chambers. And then you have feedstock that go in 24 seven. And then you get free electricity coming out to all the 40 homeowners. And there'll be no smoke because this is all like a in a contained uh, chamber. Thank you. And Mitchell, do you want to add anything to what uh, a description of what feedstock is? Yeah, you know, it, it's based on organic material. Um, so that covers so much of our waste. Uh, you see here the rubber tires, the garbage in general, you know, animal manure, and all the, the brush waste that we have. Um, these are problems that are adding up in some communities anyways. And if you look at the process of a landfill, a lot of these landfills sort these items anyways, and they either ship them to other places or use them for recycling. Um, but this gives another option to dispose of and destroy, actually, because you're converting it to something else organic yes. material. Um, so I think it's a great solution for cleaning up our planet and give a really end life to some of the stuff um, that we create. Absolutely. That's what I love. The feedstock is at the beginning and you get something useful at the end. Yeah. So we'll move on to our next slide and we'll talk about biomass, which if you remember from the previous slide is considered a feedstock and it's pay it forwards preferred feedstock. Um, Alan, do you want to tell us why that is? Well, because every when whenever the sun shines, especially in the warmer states, things grow. Mm. Unfortunately, when things grow, they also mature and they die. So every day, every year, we have more and more biomass that are kind of dead or not not useful. Mm -hmm. So these typically get uh, uh, transferred to a landfill. But unfortunately, landfill is getting hard to come by. You know, they open up a new site, and then it get full. And then they have to get a permit to do another one. And so basically, we are just ignoring the problem. But if we can, instead of taking millions of tons of these dead vegetation to landfill, if pay forward can get hold of them, we can probably, 
you know, process it into pallets or whatever the feedstock and then provide green energy or green whatever items, you know, for the current generation or future generation to come, then it'll be a win-win for everyone. Absolutely. And uh, Mitchell, uh, to go a little bit further, a little more detailed, um, we mentioned that biomass is pay it forward's preferred um, feedstock. And can you tell us a little bit about what that biomass feedstock might be, especially wood and crops? Yeah, well, one thing is you want it to be consistent. Um, consistency is important because you want to have a consistent byproduct. You know, whatever whatever sun gas comes out or steam, you want it to be the same thing. Um, and, and, you know, it could range anything from, like I was saying earlier, just, just natural forest waste um, that just occurs, which would break down on its own one way or another, but it could take hundreds of years. So we're mm -hmm. speeding that up to where, you know, we can actually grow certain trees and control the feedstock um, to help produce energy, which, you know, forestry now, it's a positive thing because we would just replant trees and keep the environment going. Um, I think using the wood and, you know, the brush makes the most sense um, to be consistent and to have an, you know, an endless supply because that's nature. But with the other organic materials, it's hit or miss. Again, we don't want this machine to stop once it starts. So if you do something like tires or trash or waste, there's a chance that it runs out or you don't get a delivery if we have a, you know, you have trees that are growing naturally. You have a system to where you can always replenish. Right. So I think the bottom line, what you're saying or what we're saying is that, um, you know, for a gasification plant or operation to be successful and sustainable, it is mandatory that you have a reliable and predictable feedstock because you don't want the operation to stop. It costs more money. You're wasting more energy. So to keep the uh, process going, you need to have predictable feedstock. And ideally, we would want to have feedstock that is either at no cost or that we would be paid to remove. Um, you know, in lieu of going to a landfill, uh, we could take tree waste or crop waste um, that is created by developers or land clearing or deforestation or uh, municipals, municipalities that dispose of their tree, tree waste. You know, there are a lot of sources for this and we could keep the operation moving and it would be more sustainable. So that's kind of what pay it forward's biomass specifications are. Um, is the predictable feedstock. And, and we believe that, you know, uh, vegetation uh, is one of those uh, reliable feed sources. Yeah, so for example, we can probably follow the FedEx model. So let's say you pay it forward, start a, a sizable biomass facility. Maybe we have maybe five stations, five chambers. Hmm. You know, can be large, extra large, small, medium, or small. So the extra depends on like Sherry was saying the uh, contract that we have, you know, for different feedstock producers. So maybe the big one, maybe uh, general highway cleaning uh, tree waste. So that one, let's say we sign a contract for maybe 100 tons a year or whatever, then we can size that one as a big one. 
So every, every single day is processing these highway tree waste and then convert into maybe uh, electricity for townhouses or steam for other things or maybe methanol or whatever. Then we have the smallest one, maybe a real tiny one. And that one can be flexible because like uh, Mitchell was saying, we can sort the waste. So maybe um, this week we'll be doing tires. The mm -hmm. tires, basically, you just have to remove the steel. So you have to buy a certain machine to uh, separate the rubber and the steel. Mm -hmm. uh, but obviously the tire, it will be a much smaller scale compared to the highway trees. Because highway trees, they grow like crazy. Mm -hmm. Tires, it's still a lot, but you don't need as big. So maybe first week you do a bunch of tires, convert to green energy. Then the second week, then maybe something else, maybe another type of material, maybe like Mitchell was saying, maybe animal waste, you know, can be manure from chicken or horses or whatever it is. Um, and then the number three week can be plastic bags or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So we just have to have contract in place. So this way we have a definite schedule. Yes. Okay, so I was just going to move on to the next slide. Uh, Mitchell, if you could tell us, so where would Pay It Forward uh, find trees and tree waste? What would our sources be to yeah. get reliable feedstock? It's like Alan said, it's really getting contracts with people. So you have, you have forestry management, you have um, people who, who control the highways, you have electric companies that trim trees, um, you mm. have construction companies that are always cleaning out um, brush and stuff for building developments. And they're always looking for places to take their waste. Um, right. So you just look at anybody that is, is constantly loading up the brush and everything, and we just give them an option to come dump it in our yard, and then we should have a machine to turn it into little pellets that will be used for the biomass. Right. I mean, I think, too, you know, uh, another option is actually growing the trees for the plant. Um, and that way it would almost be like a backup system, if you will. Um, I think at one time we had looked at um, uh, growing poplar trees in Puerto Rico. Uh, poplar trees are a very fast growing tree and they could be grown specifically for biomass production. And, you know, that would also solve other issues. You know, we create jobs in Puerto Rico and, um, yeah, so that's also an option. So I do think, you know, trees and tree waste would be a, a, a very reliable source of uh, feedstock. Okay, so we can move on to our next slide. Um, and this is what the applications and benefits of gasification may be. Uh, who would like to uh, address that, Alan or Mitchell? How about Mitchell, you wanna take that one? Sure. <laughs> And this is a great slide to explain um, what you can get out of it, you know, the electricity, the steam, um, various chemicals, especially like methanol, which we discussed, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, fertilizers, and using that directly to make power where you're at. So this can be self-sustainable to some degree, where if we have a biomass facility, our own internal electricity can be coming from that, kind of make a, cy a cycle or loop. 
Um, mm. And on top of everything, we're cleaning up the planet using the feedstocks. Whether you know we have you know we can grow to supplement, but I'm sure there are plenty of people that want to bring us our waste, their waste to be disposed of. Well, another byproduct is the ash. So when you convert, let's say uh, rubber tires or any other stuff, not only are you getting the free energy uh, more responsibly, no pollution. Uh, there might be other uh, ash or other like steel that you can sell it back to the manufacturers and they'll be glad to do it because normally these things, heavy particles, they'll be either buried in the ground and contaminate water for generations to come. Or if you incinerate it, you know, it will go up in smoke and then fall down and then will be cancer causing for other communities. So this way, the ash can be sorted out very easily uh, and then get uh, responsibly used in industries. Yeah. And that ash itself is going to be mostly carbon, which can be used as a type of fertilizer um, mostly or, or as another source of fuel in some aspects. But there's also be precious metals that drop. So, you know, there's gold, titanium, and silver and everything. Um, mm -hmm. So this gives an opportunity to, you know, help cover some of the costs what we're doing by sorting the ash out and getting the carbon and the precious metals. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Well, those sounds like those sound like great benefits. Um, I will move on to our next slide, um, which is uh, the demand for methanol, because I think uh, Pay It Forward has discussed uh, that as a possible uh, output for the gasification plant. Uh, Alan, would you like to tell us about methanol? Sure. Uh, methanol is an interesting uh, uh, chemical. Basically, it's uh, almost like gasoline, but mm -hmm. uh, it's a little slightly different uh, composition. So methanol can be used uh, for raising cars. You know, if you in the raising, you, you can actually buy methanol and then the car will actually perform better. But most of the methanol uh, is used in industry, like making furniture, making, you know, building materials. Mm -hmm. I think almost all the major industrial companies, they buy methanol for whatever reason in the, the process. So the demand for methanol is unlimited. Mm -hmm. So right now, methanol is being converted from natural gas uh, or petroleum. Uh, but if we do the biomass, uh, the green way, this gasification way, one option instead, in addition to producing electricity or steam, is we can convert to biomethanol, which mm. is similar or green methanol. And I'm sure that all the industries will be glad to buy green methanol from us instead of the traditional methanol that are refined from petroleum. Yeah, and I think this way of thinking is what separates us from the non-sustainable gasification um, outfits that are out there. A lot of those industries or companies, they're, they're turning the, the byproduct into a synthetic gas that they run through a generator and then they sell the electricity at wholesale um, through the grid. This is one of the reasons it's not sustainable. They're not getting that much money out of their feedstock. 
this gives us an opportunity to balance out a bit more by selling the methanol different volumes. Um, so it's just a different business model, different method that hopefully would make all the difference in helping this idea scale. Absolutely. Okay. Um, our next slide, um, it talks about the challenges. Um, because te this technology, as we saw from the history, uh, has been around for a long time and has been, you know, there's been a lot of research and development uh, into gasification. And it's, you know, shows great promise, but there are a lot of uh, challenges that need to be addressed to make it more viable and sustainable. Uh, the picture to the right uh, is from a plant in Vero Beach, Florida. Uh, that closed uh, once the subsidy subsidies ended, which is such a shame. Uh, they had several challenges, and we'll talk about those on the next slide. Um, Alan, I know you had the uh, opportunity to visit the Vero Beach plant and talk to someone who was just overseeing the closure. Uh, so can you talk tell us about some of the challenges that these plant, that plant and any plant, you know, faces. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, as a dentary, uh, was trying to find out what's happening with this supposed to be very forward thinking plant, the gasification plan. And uh, I was just trying to take pictures. Then somebody challenged me and said, what, what are you doing? I explained that I'm fascinating about gasification. And turned out that he start, I mean, he worked at that factory since day one and mm. unfortunately closed uh several years ago and he was hired by the new owner for the land you know to oversee the closure mm. so some of the challenge is they are they get flooded with cash when they first started because there's federal money there's state money there's local money and seems like uh you know they buy the best of everything and hire whatever, like uh, a lot of people and put a lot of money in. But to make a story short, these good times don't last forever. So after a while, then they, maybe because of the economy or politics or different uh, times of the budget. So to make a story short, they uh, have to shut down. And another model that I, my personal thing that caused them uh, fail is they were trying to produce ethanol instead of methanol. Mm -hmm. uh, so the process uh, is almost the same. With ethanol, uh, obviously you, you just modify the temperature or just a like recipe, you just modify something. But with ethanol, you are competing with the Midwest farmers, because the Midwest farmers, they get subsidy from the federal government mm. to to produce methanol or, or ethanol uh, that are injected in all the pumps around the country. So when you buy net unleaded gas around the country, most of them put down up to 10% ethanol. So, so the ethanol is because of the federal subsidy or the local subsidy for the Midwest farmer. It's very cheap because you can beat billions of dollars subsidy. So 
I think it had they changed the formulation on the recipe to methanol, then there might be a better chance. Mm-hmm. Because methanol, you can now sell to Toyota, you can sell to different big companies as a green methanol. And they were glad to take whatever you have because it will help the environment and then they need it. And they don't have to compete with the other subsidy like uh, ethanol. Yeah. But I'm sure there are many challenges. They probably, uh, another restriction is I've heard that because of certain grants, they have to employ people from Indian River County only. So basically that make it difficult for us to recruit the best, you know, uh, person around the world. So you pay what for, we're doing something like this, we would probably recruit, you know, bright scientists and engineers or the people around the world and not limit ourselves to one county. Mitchell, do you have anything to add? Yeah, just talking about the difference in the business model. Like Alan said, the ethanol is it's hard to compete with. In terms of methanol, though, I believe the largest supplier we have in North America is Trinidad and Tobago, um, and it's a byproduct of natural gas, which is uh, you know a whole nother conversion process. So it gives us a bigger opportunity to um, have more customers around the world. And like Alan said, we would we would scale globally to be able to sell this to other people um, globally, you know, around the world too. So you know, I think we looked at a lot of challenges and we addressed most of the things that could adjust the business model to make it sustainable. Yes, I and I would agree that, you know, pay it forward will do its homework, has done its homework. We've researched this. We will um, enlist subject matter experts because surprisingly, um, as I recall you telling me, Alan, you know, this plant was, uh, you know, state of the art. Uh, a lot of money was spent. Uh, a lot of government money, and I believe they made a lot of mistakes, uh, even with their feedstock. As I recall, Alan, I think the gentleman told you that um, the plant was not operating properly, a lot of it due to moisture content, uh, which is, you know, kind of surprising. They had all this time and effort to be prepared building this facility, and yet made such a simple uh, mistake. And so they were uh, shutting down, opening up, shutting down, opening up as they tried to iron out some of these problems. And it's just so unfortunate um, that, you know, they took so much time dealing with these types of problems that the money ran out and they just could not continue. Yeah. Well, actually, they probably don't understand for all the climate. Because in Florida it rains, it, yes. it uh, so if I if we were doing something in Florida, I would make it hundred uh, percent covered or, or like a indoor mm-hmm. factory, and yes. instead of using uh, human labor from Indian County, I would use robots, either mm-hmm. robots or conveyors, and definitely when you receive the the feedstock, you want to make sure that it's a like a humidity uh, controlled, you know, yeah. like a, what they call it, the humidifier or, or there, there's some, probably in a bigger sense. So you want to remove the moisture from the air. Mm-hmm. So right now when I observe how they did this in the past, 
trucks come in and they just dump it into a carport. So when you have a carport, you know, rain can mess up with your feedstock. Mm -hmm. And then if you don't have any controlled uh, situation, then you're running into a problem. Basically, the gasification will stop because the content is not controlled. That's right. And that's what I'm just saying. It's just so unfortunate. I mean, that seems like kind of a common sense uh, <laughs> a problem that you, they should have been able to address in all the time they had in planning and designing and building this um, this facility. So, yes, it is very unfortunate. But um, we will carry on with our next slide. Um, uh, you'll see here um, we want to, as we discussed earlier, we would like the system that we uh, build and the systems we build to be closed systems versus those uh, that have smokestacks. Okay. Um, so uh, would one of you like to just talk about, I guess, the difference between what is going on with a lot of municipalities who do have gasification plants, but they are still producing um, emissions? I mean, sure, biomass, you know, the term really just means to burn. So you have some people like we've been doing, doing for millions of years, we're just burning trash. And that's going to put smoke into our atmosphere. Um, I think that's what most you see in this country, people who are just burning stuff. Um, but using the closed system, you have zero exhaust. You're just going to have um, possibly steam and then the, the ash and then the byproduct. So that that is something to where, especially now, it's very environmental friendly, and you know it it, it it falls along with government changing like the Paris Act, and we're supposed to be moving in a direction of being more responsible, anyways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it looks like our my slide may have jumped. Yeah, it did. Uh, we skipped this one, but this is just a a brief overview of what we were saying that. You know, there are gasification plants in going on right now all across the country, but they are mostly in wealthy municipalities and they're using it for municipal waste, but they are not closed systems. I mean, I can think of one that's further south from me and you can see the stacks and you can see the emissions coming out. So our goal is to build a closed system um, so that we are operating without that traditional smokestack or chimney. Um, and to maximize the conversion of the feedstock into useful gases and methanol or electricity and minimize the release of uh, pollutants. So now we'll go back to the slide it had jumped to. Alan, do you have anything else to add about what a closed system is or why a closed system is important? Yeah, basically, uh, in order to uh, have a better uh environmental friendly or green system, the gasification closed system is the preferred way because like Mitchell was saying, there's no chimney. Basically, mm -hmm. you just uh, convert, rearrange the molecules or the uh, stuff from a tree uh, product into methanol. You know, just like cooking, you're converting one way or the other, but without the harmful gas that will be emitted and anything that are not uh, converted will come as ash. And then you can sort out the ash um, and figure out what makes sense. 
Um, this technology is very similar to early American moonshine, um, which a lot of countries are built on that concept, but really it works almost the same way. Mm. <laughs> uh, to help people understand a little bit more. Okay. Yeah, basically, if you convert wine to alcohol, you didn't, you don't uh, smoking, right? You just the wine just becomes yeah. vinegar or, or something. Yeah. But without yeah. smoke. That's a good analogy. All of us can understand. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. So our uh, next slide um, is really uh, our the beginning of our conclusion of this podcast. Um, we hope you enjoyed our discussion on gasification and learned something. And we will certainly be following up with additional uh, podcasts on this subject with some subject matter experts. Um, but for now, we would just like to encourage our listeners to uh, check out our podcasts. We have uh, many on other very interesting topics, um, shipping, uh, longevity, uh, memory loss. So just wanted to tell you to give us a listen. Uh, and then further, you can uh, help support us. Uh, Mitchell, do you want to tell our audience about ways uh, that they can make a difference? Sure. You know, um, we're looking to either build a biomass plant or to purchase one. Um, so if you want to support that mission, you know, we have a Patreon where you can participate. Um, and if you want to learn more about it, you can go, you can go visit our website, payforwardonline.org. Um, and if you want to learn more about us, you can visit our Facebook page or listen to some of the other podcasts we have. Um, helping yourself by helping others. Yes, because as the uh, headline reads there, together we can do more. Yeah. Um, we are Pay It Forward is committed to making a difference in this world. And gasification is just one of our many programs, but we can't do it without you. So um, together we can make it happen. <laughs> so uh, finally, we just want to say thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us again. And as we always say at the end, keep paying it forward. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.